Bittersweet Cinematologists, we focus on the bittersweet jazz romance Wilderness, penned by our very own Neil Fox. Neil and Dario are joined on the episode by the film's director, Justin Doherty. We discuss the unique production context of the film, as well as getting into the thematics of relationships, romance, and communication. We also discuss the film's reception, particularly as it's just come out on streaming, but was made back in 2016. If you enjoy the Cinematologist podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. We have various tiered memberships, and you can get access to all of our bonus content, including our monthly newsletter. Are invested back into the podcast, helping with our running costs and also helping in the production of new material. You can also contact us on social media. We're on Twitter at Cinematologists and you can email us at cinematologists at gmail.com. But right now, on with the show. Welcome to the Cinematologist Podcast. I'm Dario Linares, and with me, of course, in a slightly different role than usual, is my good friend Neil Fox. Neil, how are you doing? I'm good, my friend. It's lovely to see you. A little bit nervous, but... uh, Why are you nervous today? What is the reason for that anxiety? (laughs) Well, you alluded to it there, the slightly different role. Um, I am the the subject, the object... (laughs) Uh, for, for part of this conversation, so yeah. yes, it's a strange, strange experience. But yeah, I'm guest to it. guest interviewee for the first time. As obviously, we're we're going to talk about the uh, recent streaming release of the feature film you wrote, the jazz romance wilderness. Is that is that an apt description? Would you say? I think so. That's how we've that's how we've always kind of build it um, as a jazz romance, it, it, you know, it, you know, just an easy way of, of kind of getting people a very quick signifier of what, it, what they might be getting in for. Um, obviously it's much more than a, just a, a jazz romance, but um, it's kind of become a shorthand. And I'm not sure when it's weird sort of talking about it now. And recently it's trying to remember when things sort of took hold as how they were described and when is, I find it quite hard, but it's been a jazz romance for a while. So that's what we'll, that's what we'll call it. Indeed. And yeah, we're going to have to ask you to sort of tap into your memories as the film obviously was made a, a few years ago now. But in terms of in terms of this sort of anxiety and trepidation about talking to me, of all people, um, you definitely got an artistic, creative and moral support. The main one on the film with you today to come and discuss the film also. And, the, and that is Justin John Doherty, the director. So, Justin, welcome to The Cinematologists. Hi, thanks. It's good to be here. Finally. I know. Yeah, after listening since the since the beginning, not to all of them. I you know, you know <laughs> I don't listen if I haven't seen the film. But uh, you know, <laughs> there is a special category of fan that that does that. So we we, we respect and appreciate those fans as well. So yeah, I think that, that there is a sort of taxonomy of people who listen because they haven't seen the film and they want to kind of know about it and then decide whether they're going to go and see it. But then other people, yeah, as you do. Was the last time we spoke back at, at Filmstock uh, in your jazz club? I think so. That was the, yeah, as we sort of hugged goodbye. Oh, do you remember hugs? Yes, I remember that. Uh, as we hugged goodbye uh, on the on the Sunday, yeah. Big man hugs. <laughs> was it not the London party? Was it not London after backwards? Oh, maybe it was. Yeah, was you it? were there as well. Oh, maybe, yeah, yeah. Your your better memory is going to come in much much handier today. Neil. See, yeah, I remember all the big, the big moments. The big hugs is what I remember. <laughs> yeah, this in real life 
interaction has just sort of disappeared out of my frontal cortex, I think. It's just forgotten what that actually feels like. Well, I'm sitting in the jazz club now, you know, slowly preparing it to have some life again. So, yeah. Are you preparing to reopen? Because I was going to mention that because obviously it was a sort of big part of the Filmstock Festival and I'd never been there until I went to Filmstock. But obviously you'd had it up and running for, for a good few years. But as I remember, you were sort of talking about winding down and that was before even the pandemic hit. Has, have I got my timeline right there? Yeah, it was. There was lots going to be lots of life changes that were kind of going to sort of make that happen, certainly in terms of seeing a path to making another film. Um, I wasn't sure I could do two things at the same time, eight things at the same time. The pandemic did, it changed a lot of things geographically in terms of where I was going to be. And But mostly it was about at the end of the pandemic, I knew I'd just need a drink. Uh, I'd need, I'd need, it was very evident early on that I, I didn't want this, you know, I, not knowing it was going to even last this long. But I just thought at the end of this for Luton, I didn't want people to kind of come back and there'd be sort of nothing left culturally. And I didn't know what we might lose in the town, what independent shops, restaurants and things. And, you know, within my power, not to sound you know grandiose about it, but it was in my power to open it and then for however long that might be. So the decision fairly early on was that sort of I would open it and I've my tagline is sort of just season by season, really. I don't know how it will be to be different kind of going back and that'll be for a lot of venues and, and cinemas. We don't know how customers will, will react to being open. So I'm, yeah, I we also never got to really close in the way we would have closed. Um, so sort of unfinished business and a personal need all of those things. There are still a lot of reasons for shutting, which are evident I have. I, I'm probably maybe the only music venue in the country that has a noise problem with its neighbours. And so <laughs> that is a, an ongoing struggle and there, there'll be more flats built around me soon. So all of, that, all of those things are still there, but I'm pretending they don't exist at the moment and just concentrating on how to build it back up and welcome people back in again. Well, I'm looking forward to that because now, obviously, I know where it is and it's not far from me at all. So it'd be great to, great to get up there. So definitely send us the, the links when you're, you know, you're, you're opening and we can, uh, we can share that on social media and everything great. and talk about it. And it would be great to do a, another event there you know obviously sort of trying to get live events up and running we've been talking to a, a couple of people and seeing what the situation is because obviously you can screen films at, at, at the bear club so uh, that would be a a great thing to sort of uh, look forward to yeah just alongside neil there how are you feeling about sort of the the moment of the film coming back out after four or five years and sort of you know that the sign of the streaming times we're in it now is released into almost a kind of different filmic universe, really. Well, yeah, I guess we've kind of gone out as a, on a bit of a level playing field, really, in the, in the sense that um, it's been strange talking talking about it again because there there was yeah there's some some years went by where we didn't really sort of talk about it, but it still it still feels you know parts of it still feel very fresh. Talking about it feels quite fresh. Um, certainly, having watched bits of it again recently, I did watch one of the, the I did rent it. Um, just to see, you know, curiously see how it looked. Yeah. Um, so I had it on the background. So I did sort of see it, bits of it for the first time. And it, because I think, you know, because it was, it's a bit of a timeless film in the way it, you know, looks and its subject matter, you know, we weren't ever in a, a hurry to kind of get it distributed. And, you know, Neil and I would be the first people to admit that, you know, we, we get distracted by other projects and we're not, the best at pushing certain aspects of the film forward. And, and that's always where we've wanted a, a third 
wheel to come in and, and be a producer and push us on further and doing that business end of it that that admin is is something we do because we have to end up doing it the music licensing the all that all that sort of stuff we have to do it but um you know, we'd rather not and so the time does drag on like that so it has you know in many ways i've been sort of doing bits and pieces on the film all the time but it certainly felt the right time for it to come out in many ways we you know it's got lots of interesting themes along with uh in terms of you know relationships and intensifying relationships within a in a lockdown scenario someone asked me actually if we'd made it within the last year you know <laughs> someone who didn't know anything about it at all. Yeah, I think it's fascinating to look at it from that perspective because I think actually, you know, there are there are certain elements of of relationship politics and dynamics I think that really do, does require you to to sort of see it through the lens of the moment rather than the lens of the 2016 moment, you know, and it's interesting to sort of make that that comparison. We'll definitely get into some of that because I'm really interested not just in talking about the the production side of it and, you know, all of that, which we'll do. But I really want to sort of talk about the film as a film as well, because I think, you know, talking to Neil as as well, that that sort of sense of just talking about it in terms of it, having students working on it and being from Falmouth University is interesting and important. But I think giving the film its due as a film is important too. But just before we get into that, I just wanted to say a quick shout out to recent Patreon backers on the podcast um, and it's been a great week. We've had uh, quite a few new people who have who have joined us. So thanks very much to N. That's the only name I have on a very mysterious name. I think that person works for MI6, but they've joined at the the, the two fifty level. Uh, Shania Dunbar, I hope I've pronounced that correctly, at the two fifty level. Jerome Cargill at two fifty, and Eugenie Scrace, who's joined at the five pound level. Neil, it's 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 great to have so many new members it's a it's a fantastic statement of support for the podcast not just you know for the fact that you you do as a as a patreon backer get all of the bonus content and the monthly newsletter but it really helps us in terms of having those funds to to keep improving the podcast but just in our own sort of sense of we're doing something right and the podcast is obviously hitting the right notes with with the the things that we're doing yeah absolutely i appreciate being sent to the post office more, um, which has been really nice to, to post out some tote bags. It's nice to get out and about and, uh, and talk to my local postie. But um, on a more serious note, yeah, it's, I think what, what's what been really nice is that we, we seem to have hit a rhythm with the podcast in the last couple of years where we're churning them out. Hopefully the quality is still high, but certainly into a good groove of the kind of episodes we do and when we do them and how we do them. And to know that what might have been a quite a sustained period for us without major change is still reaping sort of people finding the podcast and wanting to sign up for more, I think is, is really encouraging. And I think the fact that we're now building the bonus episodes into the, the recording and, and doing one every, yeah. every time we record pretty much, I think is finally giving a, a proper bit of value for money, I think to, to the patrons after kind of not being able really to find a way to do that. And certainly talking less in the main program is, seems to have been welcome, which is, which is weird for a podcast. Talk less, more people listen. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we've had on uh, the Silver Screen guys and we've got the, the hosts, Mary and Sarah from Projections Podcast coming up on our next episode. And their podcasts are fairly lengthy as well. I mean, maybe Justin can answer this. What do, what do you think, you know, in terms of you listen to the ones that, that you, you've seen the film, but do you have a kind of ideal length you know i'm not asking you to say whether you listen to more right to the very end but again it's it's interesting to sort of 
No, when does the when does the threshold of this is slightly going on too long hit generally in, in a film podcast? I mostly find time to listen to podcasts when I'm doing a task. So the pod, yeah. the listening often ends when I finish my finish my task. Um <laughs> and I often listen to things on one and a half speed. Um just <laughs> just from a uh, from an old editing um, habit uh, but no i think i don't know i think that's that's the nice thing about it you can because it's so conversational you can pick it up and and put, and put it down i've come back to i've come back to second parts months later yeah you know and and, and finish things off and it's been uh, you know you you still engage with the conversation because you can pick it up at any any point so i think you know the conversation's got to be as long as it as long as it lasts, if you've got that much yeah. to say about RoboCop, you, you go for it. We did. We definitely did. Oh, we had pl- we had plenty to say about RoboCop. Let's be honest. Other people don't matter to me anymore. I feel the same. Also love each other and not be together because it's just a mess. I'm not sure if we're just gonna make a mess. This is perfect, isn't it? It's all I've ever wanted. So let, let's talk a little bit about the gestation of the film. So Neil, obviously you you, you were the writer, and I wondered just as a, as a starting point. You know, it's in some ways it's very much a kind of writer's film, and particularly in the second second half, it starts to explore areas of communication and and, and this kind of thing. But I wondered whether the story had been in your mind, or that I mean, again, it's there's not a sort of plot in that sense, but but the idea of two people coming together, having an instant attraction, and then going through these processes of finding out the realities maybe not matching up. Was that something that you that been in your mind as a kind of area to go into? Um, yes and no. I think not, not explicitly like I'd always wanted to make a film like that, but I, I am drawn to films like that. You know, I'm drawn to quite talky indie art house films, you know, um, yeah. you know, one that I keep thinking of recently I think I saw someone post something about it. it was like In Search of a Midnight Kiss, you know, that kind of great indie with Scoot McNary. I've always been drawn to, you know, like yeah, the Before uh-huh. Sunrises, yeah, Cassavetes, you know, characters kind of getting into it, spending time with characters. And another film that I thought about in regard to this was Broken Circle Breakdown, you know, in terms of what you're saying there about characters who are, you sort of spend time with them as they go through the entirety of, a, of an experience. And so I think there was a lot, there was a lot that was probably there in terms of the instinct of of what to write when the opportunity to write this film came up. Cassavetes was the only direct one at the time that I really knew I was kind of aware of in terms of the type of thing I wanted to write and, you know, talk to Justin explicitly about that. 
after I saw opening night in London. And but the others were probably just there because they're the kinds of films that I, I'm drawn to a lot. You know, I like indie movies where people sit around and pontificate. So, um, <laughs> you know, that that was probably there. But also the, the logistics of it were being sort of given the OK to make something a few months away and then starting the conversation with Justin after he said, you know, I'll direct it, let's do it like we would like we would do it. And then what can we do? And the conversations were, well, what type of story? What? How many characters? And then where can we push that so it's not just, it's not bug, you know, it's not just people in a motel room or a hotel room for a whole weekend. It's, it's how do we push the story out? You know, and Justin was very instrumental in that when we had those conversations in terms of reminding me to not, we don't want to do that. We don't want to, you know, how can it be cinematic? How can we make it interesting? And then he obviously did more of that with the, with the direction of it. So before the you actually sat down, as it were, to, to write the write the scripts, was the the infrastructure in place for this to actually be made then? It wasn't something that was sort of half written and, and lying around. It, it actually came out of, you know, the opportunity through Falmouth to, to, to get a feature out there. Yeah, entirely, really. You know, I sort of proposed the project and I don't think I even talked to Justin about it very much. I might have said, like, I'm pitching this thing. And then when they okayed it, um, they okayed it with with the view of of it would be made in the spring of 2016, and in the in the spring break, like those two weeks, that was that was all in place before we had a project. And then all of the films we'd ever talked about making together as our first feature or other features, you know, were at various stages, but they were all way too big and way too expensive for what we had at our disposable. So then it became a we've got six to eight months or whatever it was, maybe not even that to come up with something and and have it ready to make. So it was a very quick process, but it was all from being told, go and do this thing that you've said you can do. <laughs> so through this process then, and just turning to, to Justin now, the the, the way that, that you guys, I know that you guys sort of have worked and the way that even it's set out on the, on the credits and the way that you have done the publicity, it's very much seems like a writer-director team but is the separation of labor that Neil is the writer and you're the director and that's quite separate yet yeah. how does the collaboration take place when Neil's talking about you know developing the the script um yeah that that is the that is the separation but um you know it's 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 healthy to kind of talk about all those things especially when you're when you're working on when you're having to create something under you know under a under a budget and in particular constraints the key thing we we had to do to sort of enable ourselves to make it once we knew that we could do a project with Falmouth. It was also about, you know, working out how we, how we make a feature doable. You know, we, we'd made shorts up until that point and the last short we made was a few years, quite a few years before that. And so we, we talked about how we made it possible with, with the time scale and, and very sort of like boring practical things. And we sort of broke it down into, to saying, well, let's, let's tell the story of this relationship over 10 days and 10 scenes and then we'll shoot a scene a day and then we'll allow you know neil will allow lots of breathing room in that script for us to take that wherever we want it and then all of a sudden that felt very possible i uh, just sort of say okay let's a scene a day we can we can do that no matter where that's set if it's a complicated scene and so you know we can we can do that and and then of course it, it gets embellished from there on in and that, as you get more confident in the process and you think oh no we have time or we can push it a bit we can 
we can push that scene and, and make that a real location scene on some cliff tops and and do that because because you've enabled yourself to, to, to do it and you and it all seems much more doable on a practical level and I, I think we've always found that if as long as we if, if we sort of line up all our ducks from a practical point of view we have everything we need to make the film then it, it's always kind of given us creative freedom to then to sort of work from there um, and so yeah we you know Neil, Neil would present that draft you know present the draft back and we yeah we'd just talk about it you got to talk about it. You got to talk about the stuff you like and you don't like. And there were scenes I said to Neil, like he alluded to earlier, that I said, "Well, I think you know, this is this is another scene of them talking in the cottage. Where can that be? That's not in the cottage. Or if it's in the cottage, what could they be doing that isn't just standing in a room talking to each other? Uh, how can we make that feel different? Because you know, we were dealing with mostly two actors." for the core of the film and we wanted that to feel different. So that that was where a lot of that sort of came down to and a lot of trust from Neil on my end and sort of saying, look, I see this I see this scene as a as an argument and a love scene at the same time and let's let's try and make it like that. Because we had the the freedom because of the way we'd organised the film, we we could do that. And the and the luxury of nearly shooting in sequence in the way we designed it as well. And so yeah, the, the the division of labor is is like that, but it's it's never just like that. Not if you really want to collaborate. You know, you t- you talk there about there's always the logistics in a production sense, but then you've got the involvement with the university and the involvement with the with the students. Was there a kind of extra layer of thinking about what what you could do artistically based on on the fact that you were going to produce it and it was going to be made in a certain way not necessarily with people who would be like that ready and and knowing what to do at every step of the way did that sort of figure into your sort of artistic thinking that's a really good question uh no one's ever asked that before no there was we didn't you know we didn't soften anything we didn't change any plans the film is as the film as we wanted to shoot it we didn't think oh that might be a bit of a long day Mm. um (laughs) let's not do that or let's let's make that a bit easier or we very much believe in putting people you know inexperienced people who are passionate about you know learning something about putting them in the driving seat and there were always professionals around to kind of to look out for that but ultimately if you give someone the role and and um you, you teach them the basics and you can kind of keep an eye on them i think it's um kind of really empowering to sort of say yeah you're gonna you're gonna boom this scene it's a really complicated scene. You're going to need to boom that. And that's the scene we're going to use in the film. Not you do the rehearsal and we'll get the the main engineer to, you know, do the sound. You know, I think we believe that all the time. And partly because we, you know, we don't want to cut corners just to sort of soften the soften the, <laughs> the film for, a, for the sake of the educational experiences. Like they had to keep up with, with what it was going to be because that's what it's going to be like out there. Yeah, and we, lo- and we lost people along the way as well. You know, like there was a few moments where in the in the run up where students said they'd do stuff or they'd be, you know, and we said, well, we're going to be here at this time. If you want to be there, be there. You know, we're not going to wait for you. Like the classic school trip, the bus isn't going to wait. But the bus always waits generally but within reason. But, you know, we were picking up to go on a recce and we'd get to the bus stop and one of the two students would be there and the other student would, would not be there and, would not, and, was not, and did not come back. There was that kind of built in expectation. And most of what we did in terms of teaching was was like Justin said, make them do the work and then talk to them about what they've done. Their instincts were pretty good. You know, the ones that really rose to it, their instincts were really good in terms of what to do. And they listened and they followed instructions. And then we would just talk to them about what we've done 
and why we've done it. Uh, it wasn't really lesson then do it. It was do it then when there's a bit of lunch, talk about what we've done. And was there, Neil, was there, was there a sort of a specific kind of selection process? I mean, you know, we work, both work a lot with, with students and there's always that sense of you're putting something out there and students will say yes without really thinking through what they're saying yes to. And, you know, but you also got to be careful of not saying, oh, picking and choosing, oh, they're the best students, I'm going to have them, making it kind of fair and open. So, so you know, how did you sort of deal with that? Can we talk about this now? Because it's like it's the, <laughs> the, the statute of limitations passed. I mean, it's not necessarily public knowledge, but I think it can be. Now, we imagined more students would apply. We imagined that the process would have to be more selective. But the reality right. is that pretty much everybody... Everybody, pretty much everybody who applied got on the pro- project because that's who applied. And some of the ones that applied didn't, like I say, didn't make it to the to the production for an, a couple of reasons. A couple dropped out because they, they committed to things they couldn't do. And some had work outstanding and it became sort of untenable when they were on extended things. You know, yeah. I sort of had, diff- they were the difficult conversations really were saying to students who were good students, but had had to have extensions that we, they couldn't, they couldn't be on a film set the two weeks of their extension or whatever, you know, that they, the studies had to come first but ultimately that you know that the process was was the first time we'd done it so i wasn't involved you know the production was justin and, and steve our editor were essentially the the interviewing panel and, and went through and did interviews with them but the, the, it wasn't a big take-up i mean it was it was insane really what we were proposing that you know and it was still quite early in my educational academic life so i was less jaded than i am now in terms of students and their, <laughs> their kind of engagement with that kind of thing but it, it felt like it was a surprise, you know, and I think that what it meant was that we we had the students that applied, and half of them were fantastic, and half of them were fine, and they turned up and and did something, um, but we couldn't really get yeah. rid of them. Well, we won't get, we won't get into the specifics of. But that, I just but I just sort of mention it because I think it's interesting, interesting well, that there's this expectation that when yeah. you put on a, when you make a feature film in a university with students that you're going to have you know we got course of three hundred students, uh, and this went out to this to TV and MA, and I think we had maybe twenty five. 25 yeah about 25 i think around that first and i think we had another few students from animation it was about 30 students all in all yeah wow i mean it's interesting just to sort of ponder on that for a second and you know i've got my sort of views on why why a lot of the time students do not put themselves forward for these for these kinds of opportunities whether it's this film or just sort of more general areas where, where they have to come to the project and i think Part of me thinks it's to do with that idea of they're not in complete control of what's going on. So therefore, they don't feel any ownership over it. And, they, you know, we're in such an individualized society that that sense of being part of a group or moving forward together and working on something, it doesn't have that same register that, that it that it used to have. I mean, I don't know if you guys have got any thoughts on that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I was sort of, I was quite surprised. You know, my, my last interaction, you know, regularly with students were sort of sixth form sixth form students you know when i worked at a sixth form college and left in about 2000 so i i'd sort of been out of that realm but i was i was surprised by you know both i was just surprised where where people fell people either fell into the camp of i really want to i can't believe there's this opportunity 
Uh, I really want to turn up every day. Uh, and even the, especially a lot of the first years who were just coming on as production assistants, a lot of them were so keen. They would have been there every day, but we were sort of staggering their their involvement to give it, to give enough of them the experience. And then there was the, uh, the the ones who were just fine and it was just an, another thing to do. And then there was the sort of other end of the spectrum where there was a sort of entitlement and kind of like, I might do this. I don't know if it's going to be good enough for what I want to do, uh, but I might, I might turn up. And <laughs> And so there was it was quite it was quite eye opening for me that sort of massive um, difference in in appreciation I suppose is is, is the word you know you, you kind of and but the, but the the proof is in the pudding that the people who put in and put in their all are the ones who are now doing something as far as I know they're the ones who are working they're the ones who have who got the experience they're the ones who learned so much that they learned what they didn't want to do as well. Uh, we had a great, great guy working on it who came into the editorial department and he realized that actually that wasn't his thing. But he then sort of switched over halfway and sort of and helped out on the production side of the film. And he was he was brilliant at that. So he kind of sort of taught another way as well. But I think, you know, that's the thing with you, you take you take the team you have and you, you make the best of them. And, and yeah, you know, we couldn't have done it without everyone who turned up on whatever they, day they turned up because everyone did something. And, uh, you know, and it was it equally had to be an educational experience for Neil and I, because this was a this was a pilot project and we needed to kind of work out what worked and what, what didn't for the university's sake as well. And sort of say, OK, well, you know, we know it. We know we'd do the recruitment in a totally different way uh, next time. And we, we know we'd sort of structure some of the days differently. And and so there was a lot everyone had to learn. And we we learned on that end. There was there was an element of the what you're saying there, Dario, in terms of the you know and what Dario and Justin said about this kind of the you know, the entitlement and the well what what's in it for me kind of thing. You know, one of the comments that came out of the post the post um, project interview process with them was like, well, yeah, but next time why can't why can't we make a student film a feature film that's written by students? And it was like we well, just misunderstood the project. But there there was a lot of that where some of the people. That we get for guest lectures, you know, you'd you'd be like, why don't you come to that guest lecture? That person's doing the job that, and they're like, well, they they all want to come and see Ben Wheatley, but they don't want to come and see someone who's a a script reader who's been, you know, three years into the, into you know, they 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 they, they just want to follow their own path to the top, but they can't see how everything connects together, you know, they can't see the stages, they can't see the steps, and you put these steps in front of them, and we do it in a variety of ways, and the film is a big way of filmmaking is a big way of doing that, but it's like, well. If it's not my film that everyone's making, why would I care? And you're like, that's insane, but very, very real in terms of the, like you say, that the, the kind of the increasing mentality of, of a lot of students, but but certainly not not all the others. And you know what I've realised since making Wilderness is that there's there's a similar response in you know when we did the podcast and we would screen, we would have a guest and we would screen the podcast, we would screen a film, you know, and then two weeks later someone would say, oh just been told that you've screened this thing where can i access the thing it's like why it's like well i'm right on my ass on it and it's like well, why didn't you come to the thing we literally just for free you know so but but so every week you you, you can you know but then you get the ones you know you get those students who will come to whatever screening it is never heard of the film you know like you really you know it, it's a it's a it's the university in a microcosm and that was really fascinating to learn i think it was quite the illustration was really at the opening screening was where you know Half of them came to see the film for the first time when yeah. we screened it at Newland Filmhouse. And then the other half went to a, a screening somewhere else in Cornwall of a Louis Theroux documentary or something where he was talking, but he wasn't talking live. Yeah, where he was doing a satellite Q&A. Yeah, he wasn't talking live. He was talking on a satellite. So they went to watch 
not their their name on a feature film credits up front for the on the credits for the first time. They went to watch uh, a TV interview of Louis Theroux talking via satellite in a in a cinema, and that was that sort of really sort of summed up the experience in terms of what how what value people showed in it. But um, but I but equally, you know, we can't be uh, you know kind of old men shout at clouds about it because I'm sure. There's definitely elements I didn't make the most of, you know. I wanted to do my own theatre projects when I was a sixth form student and didn't go to as many of my theatre studies lectures as I as I should have, you know, and I, I regret that down the line, you know. But just to add on a positive note as well, we launched, we did a little launch for the film, you know, a little Zoom get together. And one of the students who worked on the film, Stina, was there. And not just there because she worked on the film, but because she's become part of the the creative inner circle. I brought her back to edit backwards when we did that project, that short film project. And when Justin and I did film stock 12, you know, she was the projectionist. <laughs> so it's, she's one of those students who was, was there from, from the start. And every time we've, we've invited her in and called on her since she's, she's been there. And that's, that, that's how we've always worked. And that's how we've always built a community really is, is by recognizing that and trying to support that wherever we can. And, and that was, that was really lovely that she was there and she's still proud of it. And you can sort of, see see where something started for her in the project here yeah. awesome let's talk a little bit about casting and i think talking to you neil about the script i think that the most obvious sort of starting point is to talk about the character of of john and the fact that this wasn't written intentionally as a black character to begin with from what you've from what you've told me so what was it about James Barnes that you saw that you thought yeah this is the character of John and did you then have to kind of go back and retrospectively think about what impact that would have on on the script I don't think we changed a word did we no nothing was changed and I'm not I think we we I think we had a conversation about the context of particularly the scene on the beach because a similar thing had happened I think that happened with the short, really. You know, so when we made it's natural to be afraid, the casting went out as a kind of Eastern European. You know, we're from we're from Luton, and we wanted to tell a story about the latest kind of um, communities that were, were were coming into the town, Eastern European communities, and that was the call we put out. And then the best actress we saw, where you know a lot of the role in that film was was in the 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 actor's own language, was um, a Hebrew actress actress from Israel who arrived in the country and kind of, you know, just the casting completely changed the context of the script and the questions of where has she come from and why is she coming there and why can't she speak English? You know, um, you know, like just made it, we didn't have to address it, but it just, it just it added something to it. And we'd had that conversation of oh, this is different. And then that, that certainly informed, you know, how we thought about that film. And it was, it was, it was similar, really. It was the jazz thing came in quite early. You know, I think I was halfway through the draft and we were talking about period and we were talking about what, John might do and Justin sort of suggested jazz musician which we both loved the idea of and then that that idea of the the jazz element sort of informed the 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 process of the rest of the first draft and then the the rest of the drafting and I think that again can't remember we had the conversation but I think we both felt that if it was going to be a jazz musician in the late 60s ideally casting a black actor would be would be better because you know it's 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 a black music um and you know too many films are made where a jazz musician is not black but but you know we 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 wondered whether they'd have to play music and things like that and we had a couple of great white actors who could play but we didn't cast them in the end and then we saw james sent a tape which we watched and there was nothing in the tape that suggested he could do the role 
you know, if if anything, it was a lot of other kinds of stuff. And James mentioned when we talked to him that he was grateful to be put forward for something that wasn't what he would normally go up for in film. Um, drug dealer, gang leader, you know, kind of material. You know, just, <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, at the level that we were casting, the, the indie actors, you know, kind of starting out, you know, not making many features, you know, there, there wasn't, those are the roles. So, you know, we saw the tape and we, there was just something really in there where we were just like, we like watching this guy, you know, this guy looks good. He was our number one choice, really. Um, and it was all about that. I think if we had a conversation about it, it was after we cast. I think the most important thing was that when we saw him, he'd be good because the worry was that we we didn't really like anyone else that we saw as much as we liked James on a tape. We had a few actresses that it could have been from the tapes, including one that couldn't make the audition, which was really which was a shame because she was great, but she couldn't she couldn't make the audition work. And oh, maybe she made the audition, but she couldn't make the shoot work. And again, we were tied to that. So that was a shame to not see that actress. And then we did this day of, of casting with maybe about eight or nine or maybe eight or ten actors playing, doing all of the, you know, most of the actors played either Charlie and John or Alice and Fran, Francis. But um, James played John. We only wanted James for John. Um, and he was great, you know, so it was like this, is, this was our John, really. There was just something about watching him on this tape and where we thought, feel like he'll he'll do something really interesting with the role. And then, yeah, I think, I don't know if we ever talked about it, but certainly knew that that scene would, the context would change when people saw James doing it, you know. We never went back to it, and I don't really know why. My instinct tells me that I never wanted to say to someone who said they really liked being brought in for something very, very different to then say, well, how do you feel about this scene? And is it enough? And is it doing enough? You know, that the thing about the, you know, the questions we're getting asked about the racial casting and stuff because and the period it's all you know the period setting is for, is for us we had to anchor it visually somewhere and um, you know we wanted to we wanted that's the period we chose the film isn't specifically set in a, a specific time people have in the descriptions of it and the reviews people la- you know latch onto onto the 60s and things like that and that's that's what it is visually but we wanted it to be kind of timeless and so and it's, and it's kind of blind casting in, in a way you know it could be i remember us having conversations about not that this was the direction of the film but the, the, this could be two women uh this could be two men it was is the story is a movable feast and it's it's the it's made it, the reason it is the way it is is the people you bring to it and you could plug in different people you know <laughs> to these roles and that's the way the way it's written is that anyone can kind of embody it but more importantly than that is when they do embody it and, and the, you know, and the weeks that we made the film is that is the result of how Catherine and how James, how they were feeling that week and how we were feeling that week. And that's what we kind of, we wanted that sort of flow about it. So it was never about sort of saying, well, you know, if this is the sixties and at the time it would have been quite strange to see a, a white woman and a black man. And that would, that would have drawn a lot more attention. It's like, we're operating on a different plane here really and we're just it's not really about that it's that they're in a they're in a bubble and it doesn't really matter um because we're not that's not the story we're telling really and so i don't think we, we never went back to look at the words naturally the actors were naturally going to bring their own take on 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 the words and and intonations and and just and certain words and and, where, and that was all changed you know with, with neil on set but i think that's that's the way i've always sort of felt about it that's a really interesting kind of insight in terms of. I mean, I, I I totally understand and I agree with you in terms of the timelessness and the period thing because I think you know reading some of the reviews, there's almost a sort of a 
projection onto the film of a non-specific post-war idyllic pastness that that can work for anyone. I think that that actually serves the film really well in many ways. But it would be interesting to sort of think now. I mean, obviously, it's a it's a sort of counter narrative in your own minds whether you would have been a lot more in 2021. Let's say if you made it in the last year or so, whether that sort of sense of oh, what are we saying about race? You know, was more in, at the forefront of your mind because I think the beach scene actually. The fact that you you say there, you know, you didn't change anything. If you think about it too much, it's, it must be quite a difficult scene to to do. If you're thinking about, oh, what does this represent? It could be too much on the nose. It could be too much kind of throwaway. But that's interesting, sort of being back in 2016 when when you could kind of operate. Maybe maybe there was more space to to sort of think about it in just simply in a kind of aesthetic storytelling sense rather than a kind of ideological sense if that makes any sense yeah no it does I think that you know one of the one of the interesting things about talking about it having done the podcast for five years is is remembering that you know for pretty much everyone else everyone who sees this film is seeing it in 2021 and that's the context that it's going to be it's going to be seen in that context and I like talking about it because I like talking about this stuff and I I did a taping yesterday and I said, I think we've been quite fortunate, to be honest with you, in terms of when you look at how things are responded to on the internet nowadays, we quite easily could have been absolutely dragged through the mire for ignoring vital racial, you know, and we haven't really, you know, it's been raised and people have noted it because because people are on the lookout for it in a way that, that they weren't five years ago, you know, like people people's watching of films, both critics and fans has shifted um, and rightly you know, in many, many ways. And I think that we've been afforded a bit of space, mainly because of the level that the film's coming out at, but also because I think that I think that there's there's other stuff going on in the film which is which is designed so that it's not the focus of the the film. Um, I don't think you could say that it it's you know it, it's kind of it's a flippant film. And I think that yeah it's 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 kind of it, I understand why it's unavoidable for people, but also I also know that I know the way we made it and the way it was written and, and the decisions that we made. I think also maybe, you know, if, if I don't know, but, you know, having, we, I know James now through the work he's done since, and it was a lot of great theatre work and interesting work. And I wonder if we'd have had that conversation, if we'd have made it now with an actor like James because of his interests and, and the kind of work that he does, whether he, my assumption might be different that, oh, he probably, he's probably just attracted to this role because it's so different to what he would normally get cast for. But, if I'd have known his work that he's done, you know, in the last few years, then maybe it would have been a different conversation because I would have known that actually he is, he's very vocal and he's very kind of proactive in terms of the issues that this, this scene and this film brings up when it's released in 2021. But I don't, I, I don't know because it was written in four months and, and, and shot in two weeks. And those, you know, that's a huge logistical battle, which means that, Sometimes you just overlook things. I don't know if we overlooked it. You know, I'm not going to defend it. So from from a you know di- directorial perspective, that scene serves a, one purpose for me. That scene is about the first little poke at John and Alice's bubble of perfection. You know, up until that point, they just all they can do is kind of repeat and just kind of endlessly repeat about they're just everything's perfect about you. You know. Oh, isn't this just day wonderful? And that's the that scene has the job of of 
poking. Your dog, it ruined our picnic. Interrupted you, you mean? That's none of your business. Can we just... What? No. What's your problem? No problem, Buster. Buster. I don't usually play this card, but this is my beach. Your beach? It's a beach. It's my beach. <laughs> well, this is yours. We rented that property up there. They said we had access to it. Yeah, I allow it. Oh, you allow it? Yeah, I allow it. And as such, I allow my dog to do whatever she wants. All of this is yours. Down to that rock. And say we move past that rock. You can do whatever you want, but I still won't call my dog off. Why would you let people on your beach if you're going to act like this? Because on days like today, it's worthwhile. Son of a bitch. John. Your permission is based on my approval, and I do not approve of you. Meaning? Work it out. You look savvy. Can we just go, please? We're moving up the beach. The picnic's ruined anyway. We're moving up the beach. We'll salvage it. Let's just go. Listen to your woman, boo-boo. And that's that's the job. It's not about you know. For me, it wasn't about explaining um, you know uh, a societal thing in the '60s or now. Um, it's just because you know in my head always that was a scene of something that had happened to Neil, and so it was very much just uh, I was just taking that forward. And that's that was the the first person we really see interacting with them. And it's about how how does John react? How does Alice react to someone coming into their world at that moment? And and that then starts them having a conversation. And they do address it in the next scene. Like, he, he, he addresses it in the next scene and she shuts it down straight away. Which is the worst question you can ask in a relationship. Like, that, absolutely. And I think that's, the question he asks is the wrong question. You know, like, he, if he's trying to raise what's happened. But he says that question, which if you, you know, which I've asked in a relationship, why are you with me? And it's just the worst question to ask. It's a horrible question. It's an unfair question. And she's like, that's what she responds to. She probably doesn't read into the fact that he wants a conversation about it. He, she's obviously affronted by the fact that the way he asks it is so, oh, God, really? You want me to tell you how great you are for an hour? And it's, it's, so it, it's there, but it's, it's try, it's, it is woven into the, what, what's going on on that weekend for these people. In terms of casting Catherine, it's quite a tricky role in some ways, I think. It's neither kind of screen goddess vamp and neither is it sort of sympathetic, supportive. And it's there's a little bit of uncertainty. It was quite a bit of uncertainty about where she's coming from at times. So, I mean, yeah, again, it's a similar question. And I suppose there's some, whenever you're casting actors, whether it's male or female actors, there's always something in the look. So did you did you sort of get them together in a, in a sort of casting situation or separately? We ran couples. We, we we casted couples. We sometimes had four of the actors read the party scene, but we had lots of people play John and Alice in in scenes, and we had them we had them do the the most difficult scene, the kind of, this argument scene, which is also a love scene, which is going to you know um, have this conflicting dialogue of of anger with a physical uh, nature of of them starting to make love after this party. So we wanted we knew that's a, that's a very tricky scene to land. And bless the actors, you know, that's the one we say, look, we want you to improvise this. Um, and that was, and for Catherine was just, it's just instinct, you know. And 
and as soon as she did it with James, James did that scene great with 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 a couple of the actors. We had some, we were really we had a really good choice of, of of people that day, and everyone really did very different things with it. But it was um, it was those two last of the day, that combination last of the day, and that was it. it. Just falls into place, and you don't you try not to question it really. And the the look is the look. You know, I remember one of the reviews saying about her short bobbed hair. I mean, that's just that's how Alice looks because that's the hair cat has. You know, <laughs> uh, that's it's not designed. That she's just came it and. And that kind of uncertainty and that likability and that unlikability and that, I mean, that's even something that Kat feels when she watches it. She has, again, it's about that movable feast thing I talked about. However you come to the film, whatever, you know, when you come to the film, you'll, you'll hopefully always feel something a bit different about it if you watch it a second time. You might hate it. You might love it. You might, you might associate yourself with John. You might associate yourself with Alice. You might fully understand both of them it's and the actors both have that experience when they they watch themselves because because they're not certain about anything that they're feeling or saying themselves that weekend because you make you know you're making it up as you go along and that's what they that's that sort of feeling we wanted it to have that they were making it up as we go along so they're not consistent people they're not consistent in their in the way they react to each other that that was really what we wanted. That that the messiness that Neil refers to about uh, often about the film is that's that's it. You know, unless you're exceptionally well versed at uh, the beginnings of love affairs, it's messy. Yeah, I've heard Neil sort of say that quite a few times, and that and in a sense, you know, it's it's interesting because it it does is the messiness. Neil really sort of what you're talking about there is the idea of the relationships kind of having different registers and they're both they both can be wrong and right at different times and be contradictory with each other rather than sort of what you would call a kind of messiness of a of a film that that sort of riffs in different directions is that what you mean by by the messiness yeah kind of kind of a bit of both i think you know i think that right you know certainly trying to convey the messiness of of love and falling in love and working out the sort of the dimensions of another person you know, is a messy process. And that, again, goes back to Cassavetes, you know, the master of mess, you know, and those kind of excoriating explorations of messy lives. But also, yeah, kind of wanting to write something that didn't have a smooth shape, you know. It wasn't like they argue in this scene and then they make up and then, like, you know, it's like, well, they argue and make up and break up in the middle, in the all in one scene. And then because they're trapped together, that, carries over into the next scene where they try and do it again. And they, I was talking to a colleague today who was really kind about the film and said, just loved that they would have this argument and then go and have sex. And it's like, yeah, in reality, what they should do is they should be, they should go to Cornwall and spend the whole weekend in a bedroom having sex. They shouldn't go out, but they're in that stage where they're trying to start the relationship, you know? So they have a picnic on the beach and they meet with friends, which is why it's such a sexually charged relationship because they still really want to have sex with each other. But, they're also learning things about each other at the same time and they're learning things about themselves and who they are both as people, but also in the relationship. So one of the things I did explicitly when I wrote it was if I got to the point of a scene where I felt like I was going to tie it up and have a character say, you know, almost reflect on the scene. Cause they will say that, you know, the scene should have, which I don't, I never agree with, but you know, the scene should have a kind of climax as that moves, that moves into the next scene. It's like, I just didn't write it. I just left it out and I was like, well, we're moving on because the reality is that sometimes you can't, it's not tidy, you know, you don't. And I wanted the film to be untidy in that sense so that 
the audience is annoyed with them or the audience is thinking, oh, what a stupid thing to say and knowing that that's going to carry over into the next scene and how are they going to deal with being in the scene, which is why I think, you know, Justin's idea of bringing in the the kind of almost the love sequence, you know, which is something we love in old 60s movies is is brilliant, you know, because that's not written, you know, that they that they have this really intimate, lovely time on the beach, you know, and it almost feels like the close of the film, like, oh, they've got through it, look. You know, they've learned so much and look, that love conquers all kind of stuff. And it's like, no, actually, we're just about to go into the worst of it. <laughs> um, and then it's kind of, it's it's a mess from there on. It's interesting. It is notoriously difficult to kind of capture intimacy. So it's like kudos for being able to do that. But I think what, what's what's also great is that you do go through the sort of three stages, which normally can take quite a long time in a relationship. You know, I mean, and when I say three stages, the three kind of initial stages that I always see sort of relationships going through, whereas there's just at the beginning, it's pure passion, pure, pure spark, and you get that bit. And then there's the second bit, which is, yeah, the realization that somebody is not perfect and there's a kind of resentment of the foibles and idiosyncrasies. And then at some point comes the question, you know, is this really going anywhere? Can we reconcile that and move forward? And yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I just wondered how much there's a, because of the setting and because of the fact that they are sort of intimate and the way you've shot it, is there a a kind of melancholy, maybe it's not even deliberate, that the romance always has to move away from that idealized form? You know, because well, so I, you know, I know you're such a romantic, Neil. Well, so is Justin. I think it's a good one for him to answer. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um... Hospital pass there. <laughs> well, you know, it's just, it's... Again, it's just, it was the, it's the reflection of how, how I think we were feeling in April 2016. I, I don't know. I th- right, I think right. so, much is, so much about it is kind of guttural from my perspective of how I'm, you know, like following the intimacy with the camera, but also how, how James and Kat are reacting to it. And, and a lot of the time, those moments are just just the three of us you know in in the room but i yeah i think it's it's a heightened you know it is the the, the three stages it sounds like a, a, new, a new book for you dario by the way dario lenaris the three stages of love <laughs> I'll, I'll get i'll get cracking <laughs> <laughs> dr dario um but you know we you know we were very aware we were kind of you know putting this heightened series of circumstances in to compress what might take, you know, weeks or, or months, you know, in, in a relationship. So um, I don't know. I think, you know, to, to save you, um, come back in there as I sort of heinously kind of just shoved it on you. Um, when I look back on it, you know, I, it, it's a period of my life, which I look back on where I realized I realized that who I was at the time was someone who was, you know, unbearably happy. I was with, you know, the woman I'm now married to. I was, I was you know, planning to have children and then expecting a child when the, the film was shot, as Justin was. You know, I was, I'd never known my life to be going as well in so many ways in terms of the relationship I was in was, you know, the best relationship I've ever been in and still at. But I was... I was dealing with a divorce and I was dealing with a shock end to a marriage that came as a shock to me. And I was working out why it came as a shock. And I was looking back and realizing that it shouldn't have been a shock, you know, that I missed a lot of things and wasn't beating myself up about that because 
there were a lot of other reasons why but but it was a time of looking back and and I and I know that I was happy to write something where if it didn't work out it would be okay you know because I was kind of testing myself in terms of part of me felt like it's never okay because I thought I was going to be married to that woman forever and I'm not you know I'm married to someone else <laughs> and part of that trepidation I think is in there I was a mess it was an absolute mess I was wanted to believe that I was going to be with this woman who I was buying a house with and having a kid with and we'd had three years of long distance relationships where pretty much every weekend was the best part of wilderness where she would come down to the coast for a long weekend and we would we would have the best time and then she would go back to work in Bedford for a month you know like it was it was bliss and but we were about to enter the stage where it might not be bliss you know and and I was acutely aware of the fact that you know a lot of the times it doesn't work out you know and there is moments where you make those decisions as you said Dario about is it going to work out are we going to move through this you know and I've been there quite recently and it hadn't worked out and I think that I, I can look back on now I'm not saying a lot of that was conscious but that's who I was at the time so I think the fact that the script is very open and I consciously gave it over to the actors and Justin as part of you know the desire to make the film was to say look you know and the, the actors were like, you know, do you think they stay together? You know, how do you, and I'm like, I don't really know. And I don't want to know because, you know, it's going to come out in the film. It's going to come out with Justin in the, as a director. It's going to come, come out with you based on what Justin said, how we're going to make it. I want it to be left like that because it's a chance to to kind of put something on, on the page, which represents a lot of what I was feeling at the time of the negatives and the ambiguities and the worry about where I'd been and where I was going. And I, I it's interesting I would not have been able to talk about that at that level if the film would have come out in 2018, but because it would have been too close. And it's just the product of a lot of thinking and a lot of reflection that I've done in the last few years. And now going back to think about the film that I've realized so much about it, Yeah, you know, and I, you know, and I've started to think it's quite hopeful again <laughs> because, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, what yeah. happens when yeah. they go back to London, you know, or when they go back to their lives, is it the end? You know, they, they've still got choice to make. And so I could obviously, yeah. as a 20-year friend of Neil, see a lot of that. You know, I could see that in the page. There's always It's always very clear when there's sort of Neil in the page and when there's uh, complete fiction, you know. And I'm, you know, uh, you know and, that's, and that's, so that's the way we took it. We took it, we, we took that, and I took what I knew he was, what I was feeling and about what, you know, Neil had been through. And I was able to kind of inject my own stuff on that about, relationships and i mean neil will be the first one to say you know i used to fall in love every five minutes you know and he's kind of just mad passionate kind of like oh just come back to the office and be like neil i'm in love (laughs) uh yeah that's but that's i'm you know i'm very much kind of geared that way i just i just love people and i like that i love that kind of energy and i was obsessed for a time after after my own breakup of just searching for that kind of like that brilliant like feeling of the beginnings of a relationship where just that just everything's really kind of kinetic and and i I love that so i was sort of bringing that and then and then james and cat were invited to bring their their things to it so all of it and that's why yeah i say it's the it's the sum of it's the sum of the parts of of april 2016 and if we'd have shot it five months later we'd have made a different film yeah, it's it, it's fascinating, I think, just in sort of tr- trying to, you know, when you're coming from the outside and you're reading things in the way that, you know, someone as pretentious as me really reads things, that, that that sense of this is what w- w- was happening of, uh, at the moment, I think is really is really kind of interesting. But I do think that there are sort of wider 
there are wide extrapolations that you can you can make particularly i think you know because you are two men and you are you know where when we talk about this on the podcast a, a lot writing from certain perspectives and i think it does say some interesting stuff about about relationships from a masculine perspective particularly you know that that sort of sense of communication and what men say and what they what they kind of demand that is unde, you know undemandable in certain ways and also that one of the things on the second watch i really sort of noticed was this idea of putting somebody on a pedestal is not necessarily the best and most healthy way to have a relationship because it it requires somebody to be in a position that it's very hard to occupy i worship you and that's a terrible place for a relationship to be. And don't worry, I can't get past it. That's really unfair to me. I know. I can't live up to that. I know. Is this a thing? Is this why you've never settled down? Well, women have always left me. Because of the worship? Maybe. I never really thought about it. I only think about myself, mostly. Not with you, I don't think. That is really is really interesting, and I think even then having a a black actor embody those qualities, I think again adds another layer of interest to it in in that sense. And that's why I think that sort of Catherine has a tricky job in terms of the in, in terms of the the role that that she she has to play in in this film. And just just coming onto that, I mean again. This is a question really that's sort of in good faith and born out of a recent podcast that we did on sex and sexuality on on screen but just on the on on the nudity i just wondered not what was the reason for that but was that a kind of point of accentuating the the intimacy or was that was something that was discussed on set that that you know that these two people would have been just completely open with each other in that that sense and sort of looking back now how does that look to you um so yeah we we talked about about how up very upfront, you know, and, and in the casting process, about people feeling very comfortable, both of, both for John and Alice, feeling very comfortable with with uh, scenes of intimacy, potential nudity. It, the nudity wasn't planned; it wasn't really written in. You know, it's just they just had sex, and the cameras above them. You know, I hate it when movies when suddenly people are weirdly half dressed again. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so true. Uh, you know, it's sometimes, so it, sometimes it contextually makes sense, but sometimes it just doesn't. And that, I mean, particularly, you know, like, yeah, like at the end, there's quite a lot of nudity in the the, the, the sort of final two long scenes. There's sort of a, a sort of strip poker card game, and then there's a sort of scene where we're just sort of the shot over the bed at the end, sort of, sort of three minute scene, and that's that's part of. I mean, that's just a motif in the film. In that, you know. We see them at the beginning in that very same position on the beach when they're everything is perfect, and now we sort of you know in the in the sort of true jazz style, we come back to that, we come back to those notes, 
and we play them a little differently. Um, and, that, and that's those kind of you know, mirror images there. So it was never about, you know, it was never about what, what do we what do we get in shot and what do we not get in shot. But it's a very good question because yeah, it was it was. You know, we filmed a love scene, and if if uh, I happened to catch a bit of either of them naked, then I, I caught either of them naked with the camera. It depends where the camera was going. I don't know. I'm a, I, you know, I, I'm a child of the movies where that that sort of stuff was quite free and easy. I'm not talking about you know uh, gratuitous '80s breast shots, but I'm talking about you know the the Nick Rogue stuff of the '70s and stuff, where just people weren't wearing a lot for a lot of those movies, and if the context was the context was there if it's, if it's a love scene and it feels like they'd be undressed then be undressed sounds very flippant i sound uh, very flippant no no i mean it's it's just interesting how i think that, that the devil's advocate question and sorry neil i'll turn this over to you to, to maybe answer that the devil's advocate question is but nothing is just oh let's you know let's just riff it all of these are actual decisions you know what i mean that have either representational consequences or or they have you know, um, consequences on set, let's say, of who's doing what and that kind of thing. So that that's the only, I mean, that, that that's the interesting sort of counterpoint to that. Neil, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think, and again, from, from someone who does it from the other side, I think it's it's something that wasn't necessarily thought of at the time. I mean, it was thought of, you know, we, we worked very hard to make sure that Kat, was, Kat and James were comfortable, you know, and obviously the fact that there were going to be students on set and the students were amazing and um, we wanted that intimacy without kind of planning you know, I seem to remember that we had we had nineteen sixties brasiers for Cat. Uh, she just didn't want to wear them; <laughs> they didn't work for her. Um, was def- you know, so she was you know, she, she um, said, you know, not gonna not gonna wear them. I'm happy to you know to go to go topless kind of thing. So, you know, I, I know that I know that the set that we ran in 2016 and the relationship we have with our actors was the best it could have been at the time. You know, and I we're friends with them now. You know, and I know we wouldn't be friends with them if they'd felt like they'd been exploited and that we hadn't taken their their concerns into into consideration. You know, we're very lucky that that, that they we have a, a kind of good relationship with them so many years after the fact when you know that's not that's not common, I don't think, in a lot of with a lot of filmmaking. But I'm also aware that the, again the context has changed and that maybe Maybe that if we did it now, then an intimacy coordinator would be necessary, probably the right thing to do, because, you know, maybe even Kat would have been made aware through the the, 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 the Me Too movement and the things that have come out, you know, people like Kira Knightley talking about it, Kate Winslet talking about it, that, that maybe the way she approached it was the way she thought she had to approach it. And maybe she, as an actress, she would approach it differently. And I think we would be fine with that because we want to work with actors and we want to, we want to make the movies that we want to make, but we the whole thing is about having that experience of working with people in a really intimate way as performers. And if that's the way the industry goes and that's what actresses need, um, I'm all for that. And I think that that would be fine. And I think, again, that's that's the things that you, you look back on and think, well, we would probably have had to do it differently. You know, an actress probably would have said at the audition when we would have said, she said well, will you have an intimacy coordinator? And we would say yes. Um, and then they would make the decision. And I, I have no problem with that because I think that while we feel good about what we did in terms of the relationship and i'm basing that solely on the fact that you know we're still friends and we're, we're it's, it's a good relationship you know because also that, that you know that, that, that things change and other people have not been as fortunate don't have you know have been exploited and it's not that's not the way you know we're not exploitative workers um but because of the way films were made five years ago those these things weren't part of the conversation you know so again it's 
I, I, I'm, I'm happy to have these conversations about it because because they are part of the conversation. But I, I appreciate the space to to not not be like oh apologising because I don't think Probably we did the, uh, the interesting you know. bonus episode, isn't it? If you could ask, uh, Jane, yeah, ask, it'd be interesting to to ask James and Cat. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, that would be it'd be great to have them on. Yeah, for a, for an extra on this for sure. In in terms of this being a kind of jazz film, or maybe maybe better better described as a jazz inflected. I mean, I know both of you guys are huge music appreciators, fans, snobs. Take your pick. Um, but I'm just wondering what the for for you what function did did the jazz play? Is it is it kind of narrative? Is it structural? Is it rhythmical? Is it in tune with the themes or or is it, you know, just merely again, you know, you are jazz guys and you wanted that as the bedrock, let's say, of the, the underscoring of the film? A bit of a bit of all those things, um, you know, just again, just one of those things when when it came up in conversation as, as, as an idea, it just fit into place. You know, we, we knew obviously that lends itself to a soundtrack and all those sorts of things. But it just it just felt right because we knew that the film was going to be parts of the film would be sort of riffed and improvised, and we thought it was a nice kind of partnership of of having that and having we knew we'd be repeating moments, you know, you know, visually mo- repeating moments. And so again, going back to that, you know, those jazz motifs, going back to those things and sort of and you know, even the opening credit music is the same as the closing credit music. It's a but it happens under a different scenario. You know, visually, it's about sort of repetition and slight change repetition and slight change and and everyone's perspective on that as a group of players it's kind of represented in the film and so everyone's reflection on on kind of what went down you don't seem to like charlie i do like him why do you ask that about francis working she told me she's going out of her mind in this cottage I know if I was stuck here all day, every day, with no means of getting anywhere civilised, I'd go off my mind too. I suppose. She doesn't know how to tell him. So I did. Come on, just have a nice night. I'm having a nice night. I like serious conversation. I haven't seen Charlie in years. And I'm ruining it. I didn't say that. Can you fill my glass, please? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, from my side, it was an overriding philosophy, really, you know, for the process that sort of appeared at various stages. When we talked about it, it certainly gave gave me confidence to leave the space in the script. There was a plan, but when we talked about the, 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 the jazz aspect of it, it was like, okay, this this is a way of framing it. And like Justin sort of said, bringing, allowing people to bring in different things. And, you know, when we, when we cast it, James had read with two other actresses and the, they had great chemistry and they were, but they were really traditional readings of the scene. You know, you could see, okay, this works, but, but then when Kat came in and said the same lines with completely different array of pauses, completely different intonation she completely changed the dynamic of the scene and james was put on the back foot and james had to do something he hadn't had to do with the other actresses you know he had to respond in the moment and his responses were different you know and it just felt like jazz and it sounds really you know snobby and wanky but you know it did it felt like actually these these are the same notes we've been looking at all day and now they're being played completely differently and the the tone it was the same thing but it was completely different and that that came out 
a number of times. Of all the reviews we've got, I think the the one I really am most proud of is the jazz the jazz journal one because it is billed as a jazz film and we know what we mean by that and they seem to have understood the way it's a jazz film. He doesn't play any jazz. The time you know the time of the recordings is all over the place. You know in terms of when they were when they were made and stuff like that. But but thematically they work for the piece and they respond to the central piece in a way that, that makes sense. Um, you know, and I think that's, that's really nice because it was never, we're going to sit down and make a jazz film. It came in and, and became part of it. And, but it's, it, again, it's been an operating principle. Is that quite difficult, ju- Justin, in terms of film well. trying to produce a piece in terms of directorial process, trying to go for a mood rather than an obvious set of moments where, emotions can be mapped onto narrative points and sort of i mean i i suppose a lot is in your own kind of intuition about yeah we've we, we've got that and that can that's going to work well with that in a very sort of improvisational way if we're talking about sort of jazz you know yeah and, that, and that's only and that was helped by the you know the way we made it you know in the short shooting you know schedule and you know you you, you dive into it and you stay in it for 12 days and and so you get to ride that intuition through, uh, but yeah, it, it, it was intuitive. Um, I'm very much, I'm often sort of editing in my head as I go, anyway. But yeah, because because the, the film didn't require um, what you said about sort of tying emotions to kind of narrative points. It didn't require didn't require that. So we were very free, you know, we were very free to take the things, to take the scenes, any way we wanted to in terms of how how they felt, how intense they felt, how quiet they felt. In one scene, we just took the, the dialogue right out of it because it wasn't required. The scene after, they, where they come back from the party and argue and, and, and have the fight and whilst trying to make love, you know, th- there's a scene afterwards, they kind of talk about it again. It's like, no, they don't need to. We, that's, we sort of did that the night before. We, they just need to kind of see each other in the morning and before they go for the, the walk. And... Um, that was all just sort of yeah intuition about how that would just work better and that was yeah that was improvisation and the, the scene where she dances at the party you know that's you know that was that was improvised around again like neil was talking about you know scenes not necessarily having endings and where do they where do they go and i hate it in you know films where those you know you sort of you know something must have happened at the end of the scene what happened? scenes don't just end with the uh, beautiful one liners you know <laughs> evenings don't end like that everyone kind of has to everyone kind of gets tired and too drunk and whatever and that dancing scene was devised around that that party needed to go somewhere we couldn't just cut away from that too pivotal it needed something and there's nowhere else for that scene to go after that that argument and i'd been listening to that piece of music and we didn't know we had permission to use it at the time, so it was sort of it was shot and improvised around blindly, not knowing if we'd even be able to ever use it. But that again provided a sort of pivotal mood change um, for them, and a, and a different way for the characters to be communicating with each other at that at that moment. And that kind of scene on its own tells so many stories in terms of lust and and desire and, and tiredness and a relationship breakdown between Charlie and Francis and and uh, all that sort of, and the sort of a hunger uh, within some of them. Yeah, it's an interesting scene, isn't it? Because it's like, I mean, I, I've, I've been in that situation. I'm sure everyone has where, you know, you go into a social situation with someone else and they're not quite behaving in the way that you want them to behave. And it's just, you know what I mean? We've all got, I mean, that sounds terrible. You behave the way I want you to. But you know what I mean? It's kind of like, oh my God, how do I deal with this? 
So on the one hand, it's it's a tricky one because it could just look like that's what it's doing. But on the other hand, it sort of allows that to kind of percolate in different ways. You don't quite know where where it's going. So it's a yeah, it's an interesting one that. So just to kind of kind of wrap up maybe because we've been going going a while now. Um obviously the the reception for the film is has been really good, you know, in 2021 for four or five years afterwards. And you know, as we said at the beginning, you've you've come out into a particular streaming landscape where I think people are looking maybe looking for for content that maybe they wouldn't ordinarily have have watched, but maybe even the critical reflections have have kind of acknowledged that and this is a a film that does provide maybe a counterpoint to what everybody's thinking about right now in a really really interesting way but i know one one of the things that we've we've discussed um or i've discussed with neil is that sense of it being perceived in a certain way as coming out of a a university situation and having a student crew and i know the sort of phrasing of student led production which isn't the case so i mean i don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that is it a slightly problematic asterisk against a film when something like that is always mentioned and 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 it doesn't allow the film to sort of be seen on its own terms as a film? What do you think, Neil? Yes, yes, I think. <laughs> yes, yes, and no. I think you know. I think that it's complicated, isn't it? I think that the the initial is the initial reaction is always I want it to be seen as a feature film that we made you know, and I want it to be judged on those terms. And I think it largely has been, you know. Um, we understand that the student element of it is, is interesting, but we knew from the very beginning, and, and so did so did Falmouth University, that, that that aspect of it, the wording of that, you know, it you know, it takes five minutes to explain the project to people, so there's no way we can boil that down into a sentence that, that people are going to understand. And we're not even quite sure where student-led was kind of got from in some of the reviews as, as, a, as a phrase because even within their own review it's not doesn't reflect it that way so it has been as problematic we haven't really faced the problem with festivals have we because obviously we've been in control of of where it is but but also we you know um it's, so it's the first time we've really had sort of had to address it but we just knew that was going to be a difficult part of it which is why we said to found at the beginning look it can't you know your, your logo is going to be right right way at the end you know right in the very end it's small in this bit you know because when it goes out to the world people think they hear student and they think a certain thing you can't uh take them away from that and they totally understood that in terms of how our film would stand the best chance if people just saw it as as a, as a film by us which it is you know so yeah it's uh you know we love we you know we love the fact of how it was made you know that's always how we've made films um and so you know we wouldn't we wouldn't change that and um you know we would probably maybe venture into to doing that sort of thing again and we'll certainly always you know do have education stuff on our on our films but it has i think it's 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 certainly tricky when it when something's going to get boiled down like that because i think yeah i mean part of part of the 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 success of the project is 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 showing that this is a way that you can make independent and micro-budget films you know that was part of the certainly my reasoning of of wanting to put it together was to to show that you know that universities should be engaged in this kind of production on an ongoing basis you know it should be more of a part of how they conceive pedagogy and teaching and learning for their students um 
you know, many more universities should do that. And that this idea that's been around for a long time of like, oh, you can't, you can't make films like that. You know, anyone, we've heard that our whole lives. Oh, you can't do this. You can't do that because you're from Luton and you, a film festival and it will never work. And it's like, well, we'll show you, you know, and then we did. And then we, we it was released, you know, by a distributor and the Guardian saying it's student led. And you're like, oh, it's an amazing success given the fact that 75% of the crew were untrained students. But it wasn't led by them. You know, this film would not have existed if it was student led. No student has ever gone and said, I want to make a commercial feature film within this on this scale. You know, there's certainly been projects where students have made feature films, but not they're not professionals. And that's that's the point of the project is to help them see what being a professional is and to get them there a bit sooner, maybe. And, and you know, so it's it's a strange one. And it's a strange because it's my job as well. You know, it's it's I'm 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 torn by it because you know, when I research, I'm talking about how what a great educational project is. And when I'm on a podcast, I want to talk about what a great film it is, you know, because and it's like those things, those things don't sit easily because it's new, you know, and I've wanted to make a feature film with Justin for tw- over 20 years, you know, nearly 20 years, you know, 25 years, something like that, you know, like it's been a long time coming. And, and part of me does want it to be seen as as an independent feature, um, but I understand it's the context. Messy love affair, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You know, it's the film is complicated and the context is complicated. You know, um, and uh, it's a shame. But I also, as I, as I said to Justin when we were talking about it, like that's going to pass. You know, those pull quotes are going to stay. If 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 it, if it puts us to the top of a pile where people are a bit more interested because they're like, oh, how was this made? Then you know, it's a competitive landscape, even in the level that we're at. So you can't. We, we can't afford to be like oh god it's not that you have to you have to find a way to to work with it but also correct it and say well actually this is the reality well listen guys thanks so much for the uh great conversation thanks for taking the time out particularly uh justin i know neil would have taken the time out anyway you know he's he's kind of got to but yeah it was uh, i really i really was wanted to get into the uh the kind of nitty gritty on the podcast in the way that we do things. So Neil, I hope that that's, uh, that's hit the mark in the way that you want. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you, when you raised it way back, you know, and when, when I was making the film, it was always a bit weird, but um, as I sort of said to you on the end of the last episode of, you know, the chance to be on the cinematologist is, 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 and, and have to face those, <laughs> those kind of questions is, is good, you know, and exciting and a bit nerve wracking. And it's been, it's been great. And I, I'm just really grateful that you've, you know, you've you've welcomed the opportunity to give over so much time of our podcast to to talk about the film. You know, it means a lot. So thank you. No, no, not at all. I mean, I think it's you know, if if we're not going <laughs> to with the the podcast that we've got and the you know the years we've been doing now, it would have been to me, it would have been a bit weird if we hadn't done something around it. And and Justin, you know, you're always welcome to come back. You want to talk about any movies? We'll definitely get something sorted out with the the Bear Club in the future. But great to talk to you well, as usual. Movie yet, so there's still there's still time there. So. Okay, what do we need to be doing then? Don't look now. All oh, right, okay, fine, absolutely. We'll. Uh, I mean, we've done we've done one rogue, haven't we? So we'll have to we'll have to make that exception, Neil. Video cast. People would see Neil take a deep breath there and sigh. <laughs> have you not talked enough about Don't Look Now? That's I, pro- I probably have. No, it's um. I mean, I'd love to do Don't Look Now, obviously, and we've done Rogue, but Don't Look Now is yeah. We can get maybe we'll get, come him, up a lot. We'll get you back on for a, for yeah. a, for a bonus on that, and you can just can just go off on on one then un, unencumbered. But now, yeah, for for our Patreon uh, subscribers, we are gonna flip over to the bonus episode, and we're gonna talk about uh, Minari 
and The Sound of Metal in the bonus, a couple of films that are in the conversation right now. Uh, Justin, you're welcome to join us on that, of course, but it'll definitely be Neil and I because we've, we've both made a point of watching those, those films. I need to tuck some children into bed. Indeed. Okay, great. No problem at all. Thank you. For, thanks for having me. Absolutely, our pleasure, and uh, yeah, it will be great to 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 get you back on in in the future. And uh, yeah, Neil, I'll see you in a in a few minutes. And to our listeners, our next episode will have on uh, Mary Wilde and Sarah Cleaver from the Projections podcast to talk about all things psychoanalysis in film. But until then, this has been the Cinematologist podcast. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.